this morning, we're going to look at, uh, this is our last Sunday to talk about, I'm not, we'll talk about gratitude more often, but in this series of looking at gratitude and thankfulness, uh, we're going to wrap up that series this Sunday. And I've chosen this passage out of Luke that uh, Lester read, Luke chapter 24. Uh, you may want to go to that if you have your Bible handy. Uh, I'd like to read it one more time. And, and I know that sometimes what happens is we read Scripture and then we, you know, we move on. And, and I, I'd like us to actually read it again. But now what I want you to do is I want you to put yourself in the story. Uh, I want you to be either Cleopas or his friend, whoever his friend was. I want you to see yourself as one of these two in the story. And let's walk through it again. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. Uh, so they didn't, they didn't know that it was him. Uh, he asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? So there's the leading question. They stood still, their faces downcast. So they're, they're emotionally distraught about what has happened, and this question seems so out of place to them. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? How is it possible that, that you're asking this question? How, how is it possible that you don't know what has just happened? And Jesus, of course, knew exactly what had happened because it had happened to him. And yet he says, what things? He's asking them to explain. And they reply immediately about Jesus of Nazareth. He was a prophet, powerful word in word and deed before God and all the people. And the chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death and they crucified him. There are the facts. But, verse 21, Really significant. But we had hoped, past tense, our, our hope is shattered. We had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. Yeah, we had hopes. Our hopes are shattered. Everything we had hoped for, is dust and ashes on the ground. And then, what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. What a twist to the story. Our hope is dashed, we had hoped, but now this whole thing has become complicated and, and difficult. And then Jesus says to them, how foolish you are, how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. And we have emphasized this over and over again these last few weeks, that part of faith and trust is remembering. And, and, and we need to see God's providential plan worked out in Scripture and recognize that God is moving and working and he is putting his plan into fruition. It is happening as he plans. 
And you and I are part of that process. We're part of that plan. And so he says to them, how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. In other words, what has happened actually shouldn't be a surprise because Scripture already talks about it. It's there. You needed to put the pieces together. And then he says, did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, so he walked through parts of the Old Testament, he explained to them what was said in the scriptures concerning himself. And as you notice, they come to a village, they're going to stop, and Jesus looks like he's going to keep going, and they urge him to stay with them. And while they're at the table, he takes bread, gives thanks, breaks it, and suddenly, this breaking of bread, this fellowship, opens their eyes, and they realize that it's him. And just as quickly, he disappears. And they cannot keep this to themselves. It's late, it's dark, it's probably dangerous to travel, but they head right back to Jerusalem. Uh, they, they cannot keep this story to themselves, and they say, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? When he broke bread, they recognized him. The encounter between Jesus and the two disciples on the road to Emmaus is one of the most vivid resurrection appearances. And this account, unique to Luke, highlights the theme of Jesus' status as prophet and Messiah. You can't miss it. As I said, Jesus asked them about their discussion, and the question brings them to a halt. In fact, their demeanor changes. What they left behind in Jerusalem is painful to recall, for all hope had departed with Jesus' death. And of course, one of the two is amazed, and he can't figure out how is it that you don't know. It's interesting. Because part of the narrative delight in the story is that the reader knows the secret that the characters do not. We know the secret, even though these characters are in the dark. No one could have missed what had taken place, at least not if they were circulating amongst the crowd of pilgrims. And yet Jesus asks them, what things? What are you talking about? And of course, these two disciples note immediately Jesus of Nazareth and his prophetic work as one that was powerful in word and deed before God and all people. They had hoped that he would redeem Israel, and yet that hope was nailed to the cross. And I, I wonder sometimes if, if our present circumstances don't also tend to derail us from, from the hope that we have. If, if the, the clouds and the fog that sometimes is part of our experience, uh, limit our ability to focus on the hope that is still there and is sure and secure. Of course, there's more to tell. Three days later, the women are stunned, and they stunned the group by what they see. They had gone to the tomb, and it was empty. Jesus was alive, they said. These two disciples are baffled by what had taken place. The last thing they expected was a resurrection. And as you noted in the story, Jesus launches into a bit of a rebuke. He calls them slow of heart to believe. For Luke's readers, 
for you and me, this is a call to believe. It's a call to believe and not to slip into the fog that these two disciples had currently slipped into. They and we must understand and believe that all that the prophets had spoken had come true. The journey that Scripture outlines for the Messiah is suffering, then glory. The sequence is necessary since God designed it. These things have to be, as the Scriptures say. They're part of God's effort to restore that which was lost, to redeem humanity with himself. Jesus begins to explain these promises to the two travelers by working through Moses and the prophets, and he helps them to see that this is part of God's plan. I think the Emmaus Road discussion underscores the point that the traumatic events surrounding Jesus are part of God's plan for deliverance. What they have seen is not the end of hope, but the beginning. You know, there are those that look at present events in our world and say the world is coming to an end. And then some of us are digging in our heels and fighting against it. And, and as a brother said to me this morning, we have hope. We've read the, we've read the end of the story. We, we know that God is in control and that, that the circumstances are permitted by him and allowed by him. And we're on the winning team, so to speak. Should we not see God's involvement throughout history and in our own experiences in the same way? It's not the end of hope, it's the beginning of hope. Do we think that God has stopped working? That he's fallen asleep? Or that he's unable to manage the circumstances as they are? While for the disciples, despair becomes delight as the truth about Jesus' resurrection sinks in. I'm guessing that the major challenge in this text, as in our own modern world, is the believability of such an event, that the dead would come to life. It's important to note that to those in, to whom Jesus appeared, they seem just as skeptical about the possibility of a dead person reappearing alive as we moderns might be. And the announcement of an empty tomb was not enough to convince them. Only visible evidence that Jesus had been raised would prove convincing. And today, maybe some of us find it just as difficult to believe that God is intimately acquainted with and involved in our own circumstances and in the events of the world in which we find ourselves. Some of us find it hard to trust. Some of us live in fear, either because of our perception of world events or because of difficult personal experiences. And yet I think this passage highlights the trustworthiness of God's word as expressed in promise. Jesus contends that this progression, suffering followed by glory, is the Old Testament messianic portrait. That's what the Messiah came to do. And as I've said, the link between gratitude, past, and trust, future, is remembering recounting God's faithfulness, recognizing and trusting God's amazing plan. I bring you back once again to the moment where Joshua and the Israelites, standing on the other side of the Jordan in the Promised Land, 
spoke these words. Joshua 4, verse 20. And Joshua set up at Gilgal the twelve stones they had taken out of the Jordan. He said to the Israelites, In the future, when your descendants ask their parents, What do these stones mean? Tell them, Israel crossed the Jordan on dry land, for the Lord your God dried up the Jordan before you until you had crossed over. The Lord your God did to the Jordan what he had done to the Red Sea when he dried it up before us until we had crossed over. He did this so that all the peoples of the earth might know that the hand of the Lord is powerful and so that you might always fear the Lord your God. The Lord your God. Joshua repeats it three times here. So how does remembering impact my day-to-day life? How does remembering impact how I live? What's the result of my remembering God's faithfulness? I believe that it produces gratitude, faith, and trust. What does faith look like? How does it actually express itself? And I want to give you a few uh, thoughts out of the book of Hebrews uh, that will focus our thoughts on what faith might look like for us. First of all, in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, it says, Faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Faith is believing even though I don't see it. I know we are so used to the tangible, what our five senses pick up and everything else almost doesn't exist. And we pay lip service to a spiritual world and all of that. But I think real faith is believing even though I don't see it. Faith is is the assurance, the conviction based on past experiences or on what we know of the person and of his or her character. Believing even when I don't see it implies an immovable confidence in the person of God. And that confidence is grounded in our remembering his faithfulness. Do I believe even though I don't see it? Do I trust Secondly, faith is obeying even though I don't understand. Oh, we so often have to understand. If I, you know what? And it is amazing how much of an authority we have become on all things. Just look at Facebook and social media and notice how so many of us are such an amazing authority on stuff that is completely outside of our capabilities. And yet, faith is obeying even though I don't understand. There are a lot of things that I don't understand this morning, but I need to have faith. Hebrews 11, verse 8. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went. He obeyed and went. He acted on his faith, even though he did not know where he was going. Faith causes one to act in keeping with that confidence even when one's capacity to explain or understand is not there. If you read Genesis 12, 1 to 3, you see the call to Abraham to get up and leave, and he goes. And the passage doesn't even tell us that God told him where he was going. And he just obeyed, and he went. So faith is obeying, even when I don't understand. Thirdly, faith is giving, even though I can't afford it. In 2 Corinthians 8, verses 1 to 5, it says, 
Out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. That seems like such a contradiction. It seems like such an impossibility that out of their extreme poverty, they welled up in rich generosity. It makes me think of Abraham when God told him to offer his son Isaac, his only son. His only son, at his age. Real faith implies a certain reckless ability to take risks. Or the willingness to trust to the point of giving what you don't have, knowing that God will provide. When God asks you to do something, to not immediately just say, well, I can't because of this, 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 this. Faith is giving even though I can't afford it. Number four, faith is persevering even though I don't feel like it. Hebrews eleven seventeen. by faith Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. I'm guessing that Abraham did not feel like it. Faith helps us to overcome our fears, trusting in the mercy and sovereignty of God who never forsakes us. He is larger than our fears. And so we're able to persevere even though we don't feel like it. I can remember as a, as a child, as a youth, uh, there were times on a Sunday morning that I would say, I don't feel like going to church this morning. And I can remember that my dad would say, yes, you feel like it. <laughs> and I didn't like that. No, I don't feel like it. And he said, yes, you feel like it. And um, I would have preferred that he would have said, you don't feel like it, but you're going anyway. Uh, but I developed the habit. See, sometimes we have to develop good habits. I developed the habit of going to church. I enjoy going to church. I, I enjoy getting together with fellow believers. And I persevere, even when there might be days that I don't feel like it. Faith is also thanking, even though I haven't received it yet. Hebrews 11.30, by faith the walls of Jericho fell after the people had marched around them for seven days. If you read the passage, they were told to march around the walls of Jericho once a day. And then on the last day, they were supposed to go around seven times. Which means that you walk around, you do something that feels like it's absolutely useless. Meanwhile, you're being taunted by people on the walls of Jericho. And, and all of that, you're subjected to all of that. And you do this seven days in a row with nothing ever changing. In the seventh day, you actually do seven laps. And, and, and you do it as they did, praising God for what he was going to do, even though they, they hadn't seen it yet. Gratitude is giving thanks to God after receiving. Faith is giving thanks before Gratitude is giving thanks after receiving. Faith is giving thanks before receiving. And finally, number six, faith is trusting even though I don't get what I want. Most of you know that I am not a proponent of health and wealth gospel. I find a theology of suffering in the letters of Peter and elsewhere in Scripture and and this idea that if I get saved, then, then 
all goodness comes to me and, and nothing bad comes to me and, and there are those that go to the hospital and tell the person who is sick or dying that you're here because you lack faith and that's, that's just not a correct approach. There are times that we don't get what we want and we have to trust. Hebrews 11.39 These were all commended for their faith and the author of the book of Hebrews lists heroes of the faith, and he talks about those who suffered, those who died, those who were tortured. He says, these were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. In other words, many of them died before salvation in Jesus on the cross came. All these, 11 13, all these were still living by faith when they died. They lived like aliens and strangers, as citizens of another country, even though they died before seeing it. And Job says, even though he slay me, yet will I trust. I don't, I, he will not allow my bones to rot in Hades. There's a plan. I don't know what it is, but I'm going to trust. Trusting God or having faith is demonstrated by the ability to leave your fate, your future, in his hands. Assured that he knows what you need or want, and he also knows what is best for you. He knows. And you have, I have, we have, a God that is a compassionate Heavenly Father. The author of the Hebrews goes on in chapter 12 after he has mounted this huge argument about why we should believe and trust God and have faith. And he says, Therefore, throw off all hindrances. Run with perseverance. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Consider his example. Endure hardships as discipline and strengthen those feeble hands and knees. Make level your path. In other words, remember. This morning, I've got my 12 stones. I'll be taking them home after the service and my wife will figure out where they're going to be on our yard. Uh, maybe, maybe you have something at your home or office that reminds you of God's faithfulness. Might be a good idea to think of something that you want to put there that you can use. Something that reminds you to be grateful when you see it. Something that bolsters and affirms your faith. Because God's track record of faithfulness is 100%. Let me pray and then I'll ask Diane to come up and see if there are questions or comments. And then after that we'll have the praise band again. Let's pray. Lord, sometimes it's, uh, sometimes it's hard to trust. Sometimes it feels like we are being asked to jump off a bridge with a bungee cord. And that distance and that space and that fall looms so large, it's hard to trust that rope. And yet, you are more faithful, more sure, more reliable. You are worthy of our trust, our complete trust. And so we ask this morning that you would help us to see you in the midst of our circumstances, that we would see you and that our heart would turn to gratitude and trust and faith. And then may we also encourage our brother and sister that is struggling beside us 
may we also uh, be a voice of encouragement uh, to them. And help us then also turn each other to you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I want to say that the stones of remembering, the part of that that speaks to me is the fact that you don't deny. You have to acknowledge that it isn't all rainbows and unicorns. There's some painful times in our life. And it's in that pain that the remembering helps us to take our eyes off the pain. But I don't think we should, I don't think you're saying, and I don't think we should be saying that we deny that it's there, that we come with smiles always, because there are, there are difficult times. So the first comment was, I am, I am so ready for glory after the suffering. I know we grow in the Lord when we have suffering, but sometimes the suffering is too much. I have to remember to trust and have faith. God does know what he is doing. Faith is trusting God to lead our government to make laws to keep us safe. Example, restaurants must wash dishes properly so that disease is not transmitted. And, and sometimes, sometimes there are moments when it's hard to trust. Um, but Scripture also tells us that we are to pray for our governments. So maybe, especially in those moments when it's hard to trust, we need to ramp up our prayers for the government. That's all she wrote. Unless you have another comment, that's all the comments that are there. Okay. Uh, I want to just affirm what you said first. I do not believe that denial is ever part of the equation. We've talked about authenticity. And I, I think that denial doesn't help me process what I'm experiencing. So affirming and, and recognizing this is hard, I, I don't like this, this is painful, uh, recognizing it for what it is, but then not stopping there and saying, However, you are still faithful, you are still God, you have the last word. So you are absolutely right. This is not, um, it's not easy believism, it's not escapist, it's not denial, it's being honest. And part of that honesty is the recognition that God is faithful. And that's why yeah. I wanted you to take the rocks home, because yeah. sometimes I can't remember and I need somebody to say, this stone is here because back here God was faithful and he is the same today. So somebody can help me remember. So I wanted the rocks there so that when you come to my house, you can tell me a time where God was faithful in your life and it reminds me that he's faithful. I don't need to question a chair every time I sit down because I have past history and know it's going to hold me up. That's the God we serve. And so I wanted the stones because I want to remember, because it's not always easy to remember. But right now, you're victorious, and you can tell me your story, and you can help me to remember that God is faithful. Amen. Thank you. Praise God.